Hello, my name is Anoa Changa. The Way with Anoa. September like where has I'm, I mean I don't know if you all feel the same way I do but I'm totes ready for 2016 to move out the way and we can get on to living life and moving forward I, I feel like this year while it's been great it's brought so many wonderful people and new friends and opportunities at the same time it has been like absolutely crap I mean um, from the election to, 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 you know, notable people lost. Like, I feel like so much of my childhood and youth has kind of like slipped away, you know, in the past few months, but, you know, we had the passing of Prince, we've had the passing of Fife Dog from Tribe Called Quest. Um, now we've had the passing of Gene Wilder from, I mean, you name it. Um, my personal favorites are the producers, um, Basically, you know, I love Mel Brooks all the way live. Um, but the producers, Leo Bloom is so awkward, but so adorable. Love the character. Um, Blazing Saddles. Quality, quality comedy, right? Um, you know, Willy Wonka, of course, is is a timeless classic that what kid has not wanted to win that golden ticket? You know, I mean, so... So 2016 has been like, uh, and now we're still, we're still like 70 whatever days out from the election. We were surviving, you know, through the, the remainder of the primary season. Um, we're waiting on Florida primary returns, early returns coming out of the 23rd. You know, we've all been following um, Tim Canova's race against Debbie Washington Schultz are not looking, you know, the best in his favor right now, but we'll see what the final numbers, you know, come you know, how that all shakes out. I do want to say, though, as we're still waiting for results, and if there are results and stuff from that race um, or any other Florida races that have been going on, I'll definitely get them to you um, as I get the information. Um, and if not, then, you know, we'll, we'll, of course, post and stuff. Or you guys are on it. Y'all retweet and share tons of stuff all the time. But I do want to say, like, Shout out to everybody who took the initiative, because this is what I learned in 2016. I'm sure many of you learned, you know, 20, in the 2015, coming in 2016. Um, shout out to everybody who learned self-determination, the, like the power they have in themselves, who took personal agency and got active and involved and didn't wait for any particular group or person to lead the way. You know, um, you know, Aaron, we, a lot of us follow Aaron Bowerstock on Twitter. You know, Aaron's someone who has like stepped up the game in terms of grassroots organized support, giving people trainings on how to do phone banking, all types of stuff, right? Motivating. So my bro is so positive. Like all of you all who made calls going into Florida for Tim Canova, right? Like 
Shout out to Tim Black. Tim Black had a Canovathon um, Saturday night. Uh, you know, your girl was up in there for a little bit. But but so many people, you know, there's been such a big deal made about why didn't Bernie go campaign for Tim Canova? Why didn't this happen? Why didn't that happen? What we have learned more than anything over this past year, I mean, we've really learned it over the last several years, you know, of politics in America, but we really see over this past year is that we, the people, have to take the power back for ourselves. We have to be engaged, we have to be active, and we have to make this happen. We can't rely on any one person, no matter how great they are, no matter how great their own history is, no matter who it is, you know, people are gonna do whatever they're gonna do, politicians are gonna do whatever they're gonna do at the end of the day, but we need to make sure that we're actually active and engaged in making it happen. And so many of you got out there against, Again, the, it's it's the biggest damn political machine in modern history, and you all got out there, hit the pavement. Um, I don't know if many if, if you guys remember when I interviewed um, Dr. Nkume back in I think like March or so, right before brand new Congress, right before when Tim Canova was first really getting off the ground. Like it's grown so much, the the overwhelming support. You know, people contributing money and time and energy and, and, and just positive thoughts and stuff. Like, you guys are amazing, right? <laughs> like, I don't know if you understand how amazing you are. Like, it don't matter what organizational formation happens. It don't matter what Bernie does ultimately, quite honestly, right? Because Bernie's greatest gift to all of us is not some legacy organization that's another PDA or DFA or whatever. Bernie's greatest gift to us is bringing us all together and inspiring us to live out, you know, our actual purpose and the greater scheme of things that is, you know, what we're, we've been calling our revolution, political revolution. This is about us. And I know I keep repeating myself, but I really do feel like positive reinforcement goes a long way. So I'm in mommy mode right now, right? Like you guys are phenomenal. You're phenomenal. And please share that type, share that message. Like, remember, no matter what, like all the conversations about, oh, Bernie got co-opted, all this. Honestly, in the grand scheme of things, none of that really actually matters. It really doesn't matter. What matters is what we as grassroots supporters and followers and, and people in the struggle do from here on out. We have learned so much about running campaigns. Like how many of us actually knew who didn't have political experience at all? How many of us knew anything about running campaigns? whether digital organizing, on the ground canvassing, voter outreach, you know, not, I mean, y'all, y'all have learned something that there've been people trying to do this stuff for years, right? So, you know, I need people to take, no matter what happens tonight in Tim Canova's race, I need people to take a, a round of applause. I need you to take a bow because we do have some great, brave people getting up and getting out there and deciding that, yes, I'm going to take the plunge and I'm going to run for office. And I, I saw a post earlier today and somebody said, you know, we need more, more strong progressives running in Florida, right? Since, since Florida is the big primary. I mean, Arizona has a primary tonight as well. Um, shout out to the clean elections team out of the 26th legislative district, um, Athena, Juan, and Isela. Um, you know, I, I, I keep taking a little issue with our revolution because Juan Mendez, who's running for state senate in Arizona, the 26th legislative district, awesome guy. He's currently in the House um, in Arizona. 
he's so he's he's running for the senate seat you know they have a potential with his race i think maybe another race they have the potential to flip their senate um blue which would be great in arizona and i have a video of him isela and athena talking about several of the issues going on so they're a clean elections team out in arizona and so what what because i've talked to them and i know that they're a team right they're a ticket um and, and clean elections means that they're taking money provided through you know the state established process they're not going out there and having to sell themselves off to whatever bidder they've been actually out there building support amongst the people so it'll be really great to see how their races turn out tonight as well um there's actually two house seats in the 26th district so athena and Isella are running for those and then juan's running for senate but with our revolution juan is one of their candidates cool that's beautiful i love it i, I see a couple of my people on there shout out to peter jacobs also on the list our revolution i feel like kind of you know what i'm saying you know, over here at the Way and the Benjamin Dixon show, you know, we kind of we kind of got something to do with that. Nah, I'm just joking. Peter's awesome, phenomenal candidate out of New Jersey, but there are so many other people who are not on the list. And I understand not everybody can be on the list, but in the case of like Juan, Isela, and Athena, they've actually been campaigning and running as a block. So to see one and not see all three or no reference of the other three, and then to see these late afternoon tweets about yeah, go vote. Again, I don't know what the priorities are for different and people. And, and again, this is like we've been moving really fast to try and catch up in the election cycle when so many other people, and especially a lot of these incumbents, have been planning on running and already had their teams and stuff in, in place. So you guys are doing great. And this is not like to hate or throw salt. This is this is constructive criticism feedback because we need to flush out what the priorities are going to be for our action and our work and our time. This is not about you need to don't do this, go over here and join this group, don't join this group, join that group. I'm not going to do that with you. What I do want you to do is think about your time, your energy, and what your personal focus is going to be, and then find what suits you best. So that was that was that was definitely a tangent because I mean I just got off Twitter and um was just looking just kind of to see like what was going on in Florida. Then I saw the thing about you know Arizona and Juan, which is great because like I said. Juan is sharp. He's on it. I mean, there are lots of issues out in Arizona in terms of funding for preschool um, and, and other education, um, just all types of stuff. Like, it's so much that needs to be done. And, and I think that we have a great cadre of candidates out there who are ready and willing to take up the mantle, but they need support, right? Because we want them to be true to these progressive values that we're saying um, we need people to have, they need the manpower. And I know a lot of us work, you know, um, or you're going back, you're in school or you have kids or whatever the case may be, but we need to figure out a way to build the capital and opportunity. And that's why organizations like, um, it's going to be interesting to see how our revolution shakes out, what, what that ultimately look, look like. Um, I was really excited to see that the new board, you know, the board, I don't know if it's their, I don't know if that's their full board, but they announced board additions, including Nina Turner. And, and I just told everyone um, earlier, like, uh, you know, I have my, my, my thoughts about our revolution. I've shared some of them before, but um, when I see Nina Turner's name attached to something, which I know they did this on purpose, when I see Nina Turner's name over anyone else's, even more so than Bernie's, if I see Nina's name, then I'm going to sit up and take notice a little bit closer. That doesn't mean I'm not going to criticize or get feedback, right? But I am going to take notice and like, oh, okay, so Nina thinks this is a good idea. All right, so I'm going to have to listen to you now. Y'all know I love Nina. So, um, but but we, 
we, we can't lose sight of what's important what's important. And I understand it's really easy to get bogged down in the in the the pit of you know the back and forth and the the, the snipping and sniping and stuff, but like that does not help us move forward. That does not help us do what needs to be done, you know, um, in terms of whether it's phone banking, organizing, finding good candidates. You know, I know several people have said, well, brand new Congress is doing blah, blah, blah. You know, regardless of whatever organization is, there's also the organization political revolution, which was a merger between um, grassroots select and some other groups as well. They're doing something similar. So we have different groups coming together to do something similar. So hopefully we will see some collaborative efforts too, because I, I would hate to see that there are, um, you know, multiple progressive candidates running against each other. I guess, you know, we get the best of the best, but it seems like we should be really fielding people and providing and pooling our resources because we're at a disadvantage when you come to these longstanding political alignments, um, such as the massive force that rained down on Florida. And not just in the race with um, Debbie Washington Schultz and Tim Canova. Also, when you look at between Alan Grayson and Patrick Murphy, I mean, the who's who of political elite have come out to make sure that the progressive upstarts do not challenge them at all. Um, you know, Zephyr Teachout, she won her primary. Pramila Jayapal, she won her primary, which is fabulous and it's phenomenal. And those are, those are you know, valuable seats that hopefully we will definitely have in the general. And so most definitely support, you know, those ladies as well as other people who won their, their, their primaries. Um, I talked to Barry Walsh, Walsh last week, um, Barry Walsh. <laughs> I'm thinking about John Walsh. <laughs> Barry Welsh. <laughs> Forgive me, Barry. Um, but um, out of Indiana, um, Indiana 6th Congressional District or whatever, another very strong candidate. And I'm so sorry, the noise is on. The sound is on. My alerts are on. Apologies, everyone. Um, but there, there's so much that we can do that we don't necessarily need a directive from a specific person. Just figure out, are you close to any places? Do they have camp? I mean, everybody has a website. Figure out how you can get involved. We don't need, I mean, I know some people are like, we need a leader. We need a figurehead to tell us what to do. I feel like in this election cycle, like especially in this primary, because there wasn't a lot of transparency or communication at times with the campaign, like before the campaign actually reached, you know, your region ahead of your primary. I feel like in many cases, a lot of people waited too long for directions, which I understand because if you've never done this before, you don't want to get out there and do the wrong thing or say the wrong. I know that's how I felt, you know, down here in Georgia. And I, I spent a lot of time trying to seek out people who knew how to do this and what should you do? I had no clue. And now to like look back, I'm like, oh, it was so simple. Talk to people, you know, get some information printed out, hand it out and give it out to people. Like it's it's really counterintuitive. It's very simple what we need to be doing. And we don't need like some hierarchy. I mean, you do need accountability. And so I do understand why people would like some type of structure and whatever action goes forward. But we don't really need to get bent out of shape over personality differences or ego or who's going to lead this, that, and the other. If it doesn't suit you and you have valid reasons for why that is, cool. Do something else, but don't get discouraged. So that's my little intro pep talk, like off the cuff. Um, I just really think that we need, we need to stay focused on what the issues are. I understand that a lot of us are also not content with Hillary Clinton, um, and that's putting it mildly for some people. That's fine too, but let's be careful how we're drawing comparisons, how we're making certain analogies. You know, um, if you're trying to make a point 
but you're using some real like vile stuff from a crazy like right wing supporter, maybe you need to take a deep breath and figure out a better way to make your point. I'm just saying, because if we're resharing stuff, because, you know, there's a lot, there's so many intricacies going on right now. And if you're sharing stuff where Black Lives Matter, Matter, for example, in the post that you're sharing without any context is being called a hate group and other nonsense, like, see, they're doing, you know, see, this is happening. Um, you know, it can be misconstrued the wrong way and it doesn't necessarily make your point. And sometimes I can come off real stern, but really I'm trying to help people communicate better so that we can we can move the needle and actually get issues addressed because a lot of people will continue to be turned off if you know issues and stuff are not are, aren't connected if we're not connecting and reaching out um you know yesterday was it yesterday yesterday was the 11th anniversary of katrina hurricane katrina um i really didn't see anything about it and quite honestly i'm gonna be honest i forgot until i was talking with stacy this morning i mean stacy was like you know yesterday was the 11th anniversary of Katrina. Like I knew it was somewhere around here. Um, but quite honestly, August has been a blur. I'm just ready to get through 2016. Um, but we were talking about it and I was just reading an article earlier and um, I can't remember if it was HuffPost or, or where it was at. But anyway, but I was reading an article earlier and we were just talking about how 11 years later, there's still a whole section of the Ninth Ward that's basically been untouched. You know, still dilapidated housing, still, and because of the way property laws are in some parts for, for Louisiana. It's it's not that easy to get them demolished. Um, and then, I mean, it's not even clear like what they would rebuild. You know, there are people like one of the older gentlemen in the article was talking, he was like, you know, they they claim everything's fine. You know, people can go back, but I could, I, could, I feel like there's mold here. You know, I feel like there are concerns for our health. Well, no, why, does, why, is, why is that important? I think that there are issues. There are issues that still persist, even from something like Hurricane Katrina and the way that development is done and the way we do disaster relief management. Um, we just saw, you know, also Louisiana with the big storm that just happened. That wasn't a hurricane or anything. That was just a storm and a lot of rain. Um, it affected a different area, not New Orleans, but, um, but, but these conversations we keep having about things like climate change, right? And a lot of people are like, oh, that has nothing to do with me. When, when in fact, we see these examples of how these issues, whether it's climate change, whether it's corporate, you know, funds being used to um, dictate how decisions are made at the local level in terms of development and who gets housing investment and who doesn't and things like that. People will say and make stupid comments like, oh, that has nothing to do with Black people or that has nothing to do with this group of people or that has nothing to do with poor people. When in fact, all this stuff absolutely does have something to do with us, Right. And so we have to figure out how do we engage with people to get them on board with certain causes and issues and really rallying around good candidates, for example, um, policy initiatives, et cetera, you know, from the local level on up, if we're not speaking to them in the language they understand. And this doesn't, this, this, this just, just means like actually just showing people how in their day-to-day life this matters. Because if I'm speaking to you up here about campaign finance reform, Right. If I'm speaking at this level up here about campaign finance reform and this, that, and the other, but you're just trying to make life, you know, in your ends, you know, make ends meet on a day to day. That's just like, okay, whatever. I mean, and there are a lot of people who check out of the voting process, who check out of being involved for that reason, like, because they don't see how it affects their daily life. All they see are people who have means and access making decisions. And their voice not counting. They don't They don't see, you know, all the minutiae in between. So we got to figure out a way to break it out. And a lot of us, you know, being 
regular working class, you know, kind of sort of middle class folks, you know, struggling, you know, people who understand that ordinary day-to-day living, we can kind of be like a translator, right? Like we can kind of help work between these two worlds that we've now become more accustomed in. Like there's so much that we can do going forward and we don't need to, like if there are certain organizations and whatever, I mean, you're not happy with our revolution, fine. You are happy with it, great. Um, but, but don't give up, don't despair just because something is not turning out the way you thought it would be, right? Isn't that what we teach our kids? Or if you're a grandparent, grandkids, auntie and uncle, I mean, right? Like, you know, you brush the stuff off and you, you get back at it. So regardless of what happens in Florida tonight, you know, um, there is a movement. I mean, folks in, in the district, 20, 23rd district, definitely um, pulled it together and made it happen. So, you know. And if you're listening and you want to chime in, you got thoughts about anything, call. Um, it's definitely, you know, we got the phones open. You, I don't have to sit here and talk to you all night. Y'all can call in and talk to me too. 678-810-0089. See, I got my own number. I'm, I'm really like, I'm, I'm working on it. Um, so news. Uh, over the weekend, and, you know, with me only doing a show once a week, sometimes stuff will happen over the weekend and, kind of relate to you now. Um, but over the weekend, I had the opportunity to talk about the North Dakota um, pipeline um, and the protests and stuff that have been going on. Um, and I, I, it was really cool because I was able to connect with um, Ruth Hopkins, who's a writer and activist. Um, and she's actually from Standing Rock originally. And she had, she had been out there um, at Standing Rock at the protest, but had just recently came back home and, you know, self-care before going back out. And so we had a really great conversation and kind of doing a backdrop of what was going on as well as, you know, some of the legal issues. And then, but we also talked about a few other issues that are going on in the, in the, in the Dakotas and in the just general region. But one of the things that I think that was so great from the conversation and you, it was a podcast because I do this show for, with you guys Tuesday nights at 8 PM, but I'm also starting to do one to two other podcast episodes a week. Um, through Podcast Revolution, and you can check all that out on my website, boyofanoa.com. I'm also on Google Play, uh, Stitcher, and iTunes. So these episodes from Tuesday nights, as long as the podcast episodes are all there as well, if you need to kind of catch it all in one place. But um, but yeah, so um, we were talking and stuff, and one of the the clearest message that came across is about self-determination. Right. And how we need to define for ourselves, by ourselves, what we're going to do as a people and what we're going to tolerate to allow to happen in our communities. And one of the issues that struck me the most about the pipeline, now I haven't really talked about it at all because everyone else has already been talking about it. Um, And I kind of don't like, you know, repeating what everybody else is already saying. Right. I like to try and highlight things and read isn't actually touched on elsewhere. But, but this was a great conversation. I was like, well, yeah, I definitely want to at least highlight a bit of it with you guys because um, one of the things that when we were talking about self-determination and self-preservation too, right? Like making sure that our, our communities, our cultures, our way of life is protected. Um, and particularly when you're talking about Native peoples and you talk about First Peoples, you talk about um, especially, you know, here in the U.S., people have treaty rights, and, and we still, to this day, 2016, have the United States violating, you know, treaty provisions that have been negotiated supposedly in good faith, in some cases, almost hundreds of years ago. Um, and we have a nation that predates 
our current, you know, government. Um, what conversation do we have there with how people are respected? What follow through happens in terms of, and in this case, you know, one of the, one of the, some of the major issues, you know, include um, the uh, there was no consultation with the local with the local tribe to begin with with this project. Um, you know, this is treaty lands. There there also has been no environmental assessments done with this project, right? There that we were talking. What I found really interesting was, and I can't remember if it was near Fargo or Bismarck, but like near one of the other cities, um, the pipeline was supposed to go near there. And th- those people were like, no, uh-uh, it's, it's going to mess up the drinking water. Mm-mm. Nope, we don't want it. So it was moved. So if, if you're willing to move it because of fear of tainting the drinking water in one area, why would you place it someplace else? Like if there's a possibility it can mess up people's drinking water and you know, water is something I'm real, I'm real like touchy about because of my own experiences with it. Like, why would you, why, why would you think that it's okay, but they're people of color, right? They're native people. They're, they're, it's a reservation. They could do whatever they want to do or so they thought, you know, and I, I found it really interesting also when it came out that there wasn't even an easement, like you can't just... You can't just do stuff without, you can't just do stuff without having, you know, the proper documentation, the proper legal permissions to do so. And so that is like another red flag that they're just rushing, trying to hurry up and rush this through um, and, and just, just be able to do what they want to do. And, and the fact that the Missouri River is actually, a, 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 you know, when you look at the Plains area, when you look at the center part of the country, that's actually, you know, a, a, a key you know, waterway and water source, drinking source um, for, for, for many people in the country. So um, yeah, it's a problem. It's a problem on so many different levels. Like it, it's a similar conversation in some ways when we talk about the concern of drinking water to when we talk about the fracking issue. Um, I remember when I was in West Virginia, you know, um, Morgantown, West Virginia, where West Virginia University is, there was a concern about that because where they were trying to frack at was like very, very close to the water table. And you know, if you if you slip, if you make a mistake, you you've damaged the water source for an entire community of people, if not worse. And that's not even into the ecosystem um, issues too, right? So, so this conversation I had with Ruth was really great, and like I said, definitely check it out. Um, it's about it's about thirty five minutes or so. Um, but we talked about, like I said, solidarity as well across across uh, groups. I just saw a tweet uh, either yesterday or the day before that um, Black Lives Matters activists had actually arrived at Standing Rock. I'm not sure if they're still there, like when that picture was from. But, you know, people are going out there and standing in solidarity because this is an issue that we should all be concerned about because this is another form of systemic racism that is occurring in the United States. I mean, this is actually a prime example of environmental racism, Right. Like you have a group of people who are so marginalized and cut off that, you know, the government and this corporation are thinking they can do whatever they want to do without any type of concern or accountability. And that's an issue. And that's deeply rooted in racist underpinnings in this country, particularly when you're talking about with Native Americans and in, in, in this notion of treaty rights. Well, not even notion, it's, 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 a, it's a legal existence. And and we were talking about another another case that is, I guess, going to be coming up soon. Um, and if anyone's interested in actually donating or supporting, let me back up for a second with Standing Rock. Um, I believe it's standingrock.org is the website. So the official reservation website, Standing Rock, um, you can go there. There's a PayPal donation button, I believe, in like the co- top right corner of the page. Um, because I know that if people can't actually go 
to help, you know, um, and it's, it's very peaceful, you know, Ruth and I were talking, she's, she's also been a judge. She was just saying like, it's very peaceful. There's been no crime. Like everything has been going very well. And the local media has so manipulated the narrative, right? They even at one point said that they had pipe bombs. She was like, no, that's silly. We have like our ceremonial pipes, you know, on site. No one had a pipe bomb. That's, that's stupid. So it, it's been, it's been really, you know, I mean, it's terse. It's a terse situation, but um, but ideally, we were talking like you know, best outcome is that the injunction because there's a there's a the district court case that's pending right now. Ideally, the injunction will be approved, and the company will be forced to then go back and do the environmental impact statements that they are the the proper assessments that they're 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 trying to you know skirt around through various loopholes, and that's a whole another conversation with the various loopholes that corporations exploit. Um, within, you know, whether it's various regulations promulgated by the EPA or other agencies, uh, Army Corps engineers, um, and you'll have multiple federal agencies involved in situations because if, if this is if this actually ends up invoking anything under a Safe Drinking Water Act, you know, that's promulgated by the EPA, but then you have various provisions that involve the Army Corps engineers. Um, so you have multiple agencies, you know, kind of coordinating, and that also can be a headache in terms of community activism and outreach as well. I remember from West Virginia watching the CDC and the EPA try to coordinate and communicate was a nightmare. Um, and then if you have local people who do not have the best interests of that community at heart, you know, as the actual coordinator between the different parties, it, it can potentially be a disaster. So there are many opportunities and reasons for why we need to get up to date on the issues that are affecting our communities and be that voice that's necessary. If, if there isn't anyone else, I know, I know it's hard sometimes to be the one to step up, put yourself out there, but sometimes you got to do what you got to do, right? <laughs> um, but yeah, but it was a great conversation with Ruth and, and, and just like, she was just so candid and honest about so much. Another topic that, that, that she kind of just touched on a little bit was, um, the disappearance of women. Some of them, um, have been involved in sex, sex work. You know, some of them are just, you know, great caller. How are you this evening? Name and where you're calling from and what's your question? Hi, this is Wendy now calling from Virginia. I'm back. Hello. Not a whole lot, but tell her, tell her to go ahead. Hey, Wendy. Hi. Um, so I, one of the things that you were talking about was the, the Dakota pipeline. And it made me start to think about a comment that I'd made a long time ago that basically was questioning, you know, how can we get um, people on the left or the right to be concerned with issues if they interrupt the economic um, stability, I guess you can say, or continued stability of the wealthy. Um, and one of the things that was successful, if we think about maybe social issues, right? So issues of maybe LGBT marriage and things like that, or I should say gay and lesbian marriage, um, was to get the corporate side on board. And I think that really helped sort of reduce the stigma of um, same-sex marriage and then brought a lot of people on board who under normal circumstances, the previous circumstances, would not have considered themselves pro-gay marriage. Um, so I'm wondering, is there, I mean, if, if you have any suggestions or anyone, but it's something I think about all the time, is there a way to get corporate support behind issues that are economically, that do involve economic issues and that do involve economic changes and how that can be done? And is that perhaps the only way that we're ever going to see any real fundamental change if we have oddly the side, like the corporate side on our side? So just kind of a question I was thinking about, and that's all. 
Thanks. How do we get economic, how do we get corporate support around economic issue to change? That's, that's going to be a long-term strategy. I think, I think there maybe are some companies, we can look at the models of some companies, but I think that's because that maybe having that more open-minded community-centered focus is actually at the, the, the core values of the company. Um, it could mean like getting a strategy together in terms of the shareholders. I mean, I know in a lot of cases, like economic decisions are made based on shareholders, but at the same time, um, if people, you know, we talk about boycotts, economic boycotts as one way. I, th I really do think that if, if anyone was going to economic boycott strategy to kind of get companies or corporate entities to kind of been, you know, be more considerate and concerned about not just economic engagement and development, but just overall community engagement and corporate, um, corporate, uh, Oh, I lost the word, but, but corporate governance, you know, positive, productive, forward moving corporate governance. I think that you need to have a, a collaborative effort, not just an economic boycott. I mean, economic boycotts are, are, are effective, definitely, but they're more short term effectiveness. We're talking about long term changes being made overall. Um, I don't know if anyone's seen the Walmart commercials well, well, where it's uh, they're like, well, yeah, we care about our Walmart family and we make sure you go to school. And we make sure this and, and we're trying and we're going to try to wait, raise wages. And I'm just like, this commercial probably would never exist if it wasn't for all of the heat that Walmart is constantly being placed under, you know, um, the pressure on them to do better. They're still not there. But I do think that when we have continued targeted, so maybe if there were certain companies um, like I was talking with my daughter before, uh, earlier, we were talking about how when, when um, for example, with the, the different uh, companies are given tax breaks and stuff. No, actually it wasn't my daughter. It was one of my friends from law school. You know, my daughter is so like grown sometimes. <laughs> I feel like I'm talking to one of my colleagues. But uh, we were just talking about how in, in places where you give corporations these big, you know, tax breaks, for example, to come and they promise all these jobs or whatever, but then the jobs never materialize or they just they just up and leave and go someplace else. There needs to be something built into those agreements. And then some people will say, well, why would corporations agree to them if they they weren't to their benefit? But at the same time, if we have concerted action over, you know, several places Versus this race to the bottom, it seems like for for corporate development and economic engagement. If we had a different mentality and how we were engaging and start training people, maybe on how to take part in these conversations, then maybe we would start seeing you know better outcomes. Maybe and so instead of seeing you know um, what was it? I think it was the factory and maybe it was Indiana, and they were saying, well, we'll stay if you agree to work to these wages that basically they're gonna make and whatever they're going to pay people whatever other country they were going to it's like that's insane so we need to have something built into the system that de-incentivizes that type of behavior and attitude with corporations i mean i understand with capitalism and maximizing profits but there's nothing that says that you have to maximize at the greatest ability possible to the detriment of the people that you're allegedly supposed to be providing and serving um so I think that's a great conversation that we do need to maybe pull together a panel even. I'm sure um, Nick, with all his economic uh, expertise, would love to get in on that. Uh, but I appreciate Winnie for calling in. And I actually couldn't hear a little bit, but um, I know I know it was fire because Wendy's always fire. But um, 
But yeah, so I, I think that we definitely need to have more conversations about how to do certain specific you know, issues, like break it down. So all this high, like get involved. We do need to start having a series of like specific issues, like, you know, how do we get corporations to be more engaged um, in a positive economic manner um, in our communities in in the countries they they they, they exist in as a whole. Um, this was interesting. There was a, there was an EU decision, um, and Apple has to pay taxes, right? Like they basically there was some law, and I think it was Ireland, and um, Apple paid like zero point zero zero five percent in tax or something ridiculous like that, and they were actually supposed to pay like twelve percent. So there's an EU decision, and basically Apple now has paid that tax, that back tax. Um, so I think that if we, we have government, we have intergovernmental agreements, and we start actually holding corporations accountable, um, which maybe that could even be something that's referendum voted on by people. Um, we'll see. So I do think that that is a conversation uh, that we should definitely address. And we should, we should, if you guys are brainstorming topics like that, um, definitely shoot them over and we can pull together. If you have suggestions of people who sit on panels and discuss that stuff, definitely shoot it over and we can pull it together. You know, you know, I love a good panel, <laughs> but, um, but yeah. So the other thing that happened, which is pretty cool. So um, Benjamin Dixon, my big brother uh, interviewed uh, Dr. Reed for like, I don't know, I think it's the second or third time. I think he's interviewed Dr. Reed twice and maybe Dr. Gloud three times. I don't know. Ben, ben is kind of awesome. He interviews people who are great like multiple times. Um, but anyway, but so I, Ben was like, okay, do you have whoever has questions, you know, shoot them to me. So I'm like, so he tweeted it out one day. I'm like, awesome. Okay. I, I'm going to tweet my question. I'm going I'm to I'm I'm text Ben my question. So I sent Ben a question and I don't know if it was properly worded because I was going real fast. It was before airtime. And I'm really thankful that Ben actually got my question in and then gave me some, some, some shout out to Ben again, because Ben um, actually gave me credit for why he even booked Dr. Reed in the first place. So that was pretty cool too. So anyway, my question was about um, what I perceived as this this trend when we have these different progressive nonprofits or these different progressive movements and organizations um, in terms of leaving out voices of color, leaving out marginalized groups. Well, not leaving out, but like you'll have these center core teams that'll come together and develop and build ideas. And you may have like key staffers in various areas will be of color or be for a marginalized group but they're not adding a part of that like core central brain trust. And some of you have heard me talk about, that's one of my biggest complaints about um, Senator Sanders campaign as a whole. Yeah. He had some really great surrogates. Love Nina Turner. Yes. But that core decision-making team was all white male, right? There was no diversity of idea voices or opinions in, in those inner, inner sanctum, you know, moments. And so um, that was kind of my thought, but when I heard Ben read the question, like right, re-watching it today, since the, the clip, we're going to show you the clip of Dr. Reed's response, but re, you know, listening to Ben read the question, I'm like, oh, because you know, when you type things out, it sounds one way, but to hear someone else say it, like, oh, maybe that's not quite what I was asking. So, but Dr. Reed's clip though, brought up a, Dr. Reed's response, um, brought up a really great point about how we need to engage ourselves. And if we feel like we're not being represented adequately in a space where our voice is needed for a cause, right, then we need to, you know, make sure we round up the constituency that we're, we're, we're purporting to represent and then put our, basically insert yourself in the process. 
Um, it just sounds like it, it sounds easy, but at the same time, I know it can be kind of like, cause you know, I think he gave an example. Well, I will just play the clip and let you guys hear, hear his response. But, 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 but one of the things I was thinking was just that, you know, we, we have these moments and I was thinking more about just like actual organizational, um, like, like, a development, right? Like actual organization and development, internal dynamics. You know, I've asked questions about the Green Party as well. If any of you follow me on Facebook or any, or you've seen some of myself on Twitter, you've seen I've asked questions about internal organization, you know, how diverse is this group? Like what ideas and stuff are being distributed and, and things like that. So but he took it more to be like actual advocating around issues, which is cool too. And I actually really liked his response. So check it out now. My last question for you, because you've been so gracious with your time and we really appreciate it. Um, this is from Anoa Changa. She hosts, uh, she's a co-host okay. with me. Uh, she wants to know, um, how do we build an agency to engage black progressives to addressing pressure, uh, pressing issues? Um, our participation in these political organizations is an afterthought or a response to pressure. So from a black progressive perspective, how do we, how, how do we fix being an afterthought? Well, I don't know. We are an afterthought, right? I mean, that's uh, I mean, that's a part of the issue here. I mean, you know, like this is a conversation I had a lot of people during the Sanders campaign. If if I'm hearing the, the spirit of the question properly, and, and if I'm not, you can correct me. But there was nothing in the Sanders campaign or that, that there was nothing in the Sanders agenda that was not an, an issue of, of concern for black Americans and even disproportionately for black Americans, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and so so in that sense, I mean, I think, uh, I mean, I'd suggest taking a look at the freedom budget that uh, A. Philip Randolph and, and uh, Rustin and others created in, in the mid-60s and the ways that they talked about it because um, I'm writing some stuff about black power now that, that, that uh, that's partly in the spirit of a self-criticism, but it's like, there's a way that our politics, black so-called progressives politics, got twisted from the mid-60s forward. Uh, and it got sort of, as it, as it became more and more remote from any popular um, activism, got worse and worse in this way, that, that for an issue to count as, as being pertinent to black people, like it had to have like a special black bell and whistle on it. Right. Yeah. But the minimum wage is an issue. A $15 an hour minimum wage is a black issue. Single payer health care is a black issue. Free public higher education is a black issue. The right to belong to a union yeah. is a black issue. And, and, and uh, all down the line, at some point I'd like to see a broader fight for you know, decommodified housing, right? Which would certainly be, be a black issue. Wow. So the way not to be an afterthought is to become engaged in, in those movements and, 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 and try to build them on the broad terms uh, that, that can make them the most effective. I mean, uh, I'm going back to 99 in uh, the mobilization uh, for, uh, for the Seattle stuff. Uh, I was kind of struck to see complaints coming from um, black young black activists and Latino activists and gay activists and whatever that 
that that that the movement wasn't making wasn't addressing the the the, the concerns of their designated constituencies, right? And you know. I've been around for a long time, right? I was around for the poverty programs. I was around for all the black power hustles. So, mm. maybe, so maybe it was a little cynical for me to think this, but it always seemed seemed to me that that demand was a demand that the person making the demand be put in the leadership of whatever the move movement was, uh, as as the spokesperson for the constituency that wasn't being right. acknowledged. Right. And and my response was always kind of blunt and, and to say, look, if there's somebody that you think isn't at the table that ought to be here, you know, some some constituency, and you you know who they are, then your contribution is to go out and mobilize them and bring them in, right, and and, and try to carry the message about why why it would be important, right, right. why uh, why why combating the WTO. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, would be important for black people, Latinos, Asian Americans, women, whatever, right? Um, so, I mean, I think, and 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 I'm not trying to be contentious, and and I understand that I may have have misheard in a tendentious way what the question is, but but you know, but with without what may appear to be a little um, you know, light motif of, of of exasperation, I think the answer is the answer that I gave. Awesome. awesome. So, um, like I said, I did it. And again, things get lost in translation time. So I really did appreciate his analysis. As, as I mentioned before, I met Dr. Um, Reed back in when right, right ahead of the Georgia primary and got to spend the afternoon hanging out with him and several students from um, Clark Atlanta and um, the National Nurses United on the big bus. And it was it was a great time. And so I really appreciate the thoroughness. And he, he does have the credentials. He does have the experience. And I definitely appreciate his insight always. So what he was saying, though, about, like, the issues, like, we heard a lot of this during the primary about, well, you know, they're not speaking to Black, whatever, you know, that type of stuff. And I really did just want to just kind of highlight that little portion of what, you know, his response to my question, even though it wasn't, I think his response was not necessary to the question I had intended to be asked, but it was the question that got asked. And I think that still is something that's valid for us to keep in consideration as we move forward in our work. Um, so there's a, so this is why I push for people to be critical, to do actual analysis of what happened. We can't just say, it's okay, there's a plan, we gotta give it an election cycle or two to see how things turn out. No, we've been doing this with these various people in the political process. We've been giving them all this time and, and leeway and stuff for decades now at this point. Um, it's do or die time. So we do have to be assessing and things are moving fast. You know, we're like, oh yeah, well in 2018, 20, it's, al- it's almost 2017, right? And then we're back in that same frantic cycle again. So we have to be constantly reviewing what's going on, constantly communicating and moving forward. Um, so I definitely appreciate Dr. Reed and and uh, shout out to Ben again for for giving me the shout out in that 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 uh, segment. Um, and then finally, like I just wanted to say, um, definitely if you're going green, right? Like, because I know a lot of people are like, I just can't hold my nose and vote for her. If you're going third party, because there are other third parties um out there besides the Green Party, but if you're going green, if you're going third party, whatever you're doing, um, get involved. Be aware of who's running. Um, can you lend? You know, if you don't have someone running in your immediate area, is there a candidate nearby that you can help out? Um, shout out to 
forgive me if I, if I butcher your, your last name, bro, but Matt uh, Funicello up in New York, New York 21st Congressional District. Um, it's interesting, and I, I would love to see if there was a response from our revolution about this, but allegedly, you know, he was not allowed to participate in a candidate's forum that they had uh, a few days ago because he was too aggressive and divisive. He's a Green Party candidate running for Congress in New York's 21st district. Um, and he's running against a, you know, corporatist Republican and a former Republican turned Democrat, um, you know, recent Dem, um, who's also very, you know, corporate. And and, it, and and that was like one of the criticisms I saw today of like how, you know, who our beloved, you know, is picking and are some people more vocally, maybe not the get in line gang. So that'll be really interesting to see um, how that just continues out. But if you are in the 21st district up in New York or you know other people, definitely check out the different candidates that are, are that are on your ballot and see who could possibly best represent you. And if you have time, get behind them. Don't despair. Be motivated and encouraged because you're great and you have something very valuable to offer to anyone that's running for office, whether it's for dog catcher, school board, you know, or the next presidential cycle, but don't wait till the next presidential cycle. Stay involved the best you can. So, and just thinking about the presidential cycle, because again, I'm really, I'm really ready for this dumpster fire to be put out and we can move on to the next thing. Um, you know, Trump has said a whole bunch of crap. I don't really like to tr talk about Trump because I think talking about Trump is a waste of time. Everyone gets so outraged and they have all these think pieces and Sunday morning panels of black folks denouncing whatever black folk has said some idiotic stuff in support of him. Like, okay, look, black people ain't supporting Trump no matter how hard him and his band of bugaboos try. Like, it's just not happening, okay? Um, no, it, it's just not. It's just not going to happen in large numbers. We might stay home and not vote at all, but we're not going to vote for you, dude. Like, so just give up. But, you know, he's not a perfect messenger, but there is some valid critique there about our relationship with the Democratic Party, and we cannot disregard that. Even if you're staying dim, you still have to acknowledge and address it because 50-something years of voting a certain way, um, it's not going to change. Uh, so, and thinking about everything that we're dealing with, especially when we talk about Black Lives Matter issues and police violence, um, you know, today is Fred Hampton's birthday. If you don't know who Fred Hampton is, Google him. Um, now nah, I'll tell you. Fred Hampton was, 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 uh, was a, a very, you know, vocal and notable leader of the Black Panthers. Um, Fred Hampton was murdered by the Chicago Police Department. Um, and in his bed, like he <laughs> asleep, like, no, oh my God, my life was in danger. So this, this has been going on for, I mean, that was almost 50 years ago. Um, this, we've, we've been, we've been dealing with this for a long time, you know, and, and just thinking about, I had a quote pulled up from him that I wanted to read. Cause I mean, it takes, it takes nothing to talk about Trump and to dog Trump, right? Like Trump, Trump does it, makes it so easy. It's easy for people to do that. It takes no courage, but it takes a lot of heart. It takes a whole lot of heart to take a stand against people who are actively, you know, all the different exposés you want to write about Trump being a slum landlord and discriminating against people in the 70s and 80s. That was New York, and that's what people did, and they still do it now. You got people like Bloomberg on the Democratic National Convention stage talking about, yes, and we're doing this, and we have to defeat Trump. Bruh, haven't you emptied out, didn't you help empty out most of New York of black and brown people anyway? Like, seriously, like we need to really put into perspective what our issues are and what our goals are. Because if we're really talking about we want to address, we're going to fight, we got to fight Trump. What are we fighting though? 
Because if we're not really trying to have active conversations and active movement and engagement to address the issues of systemic racism as it exists across the board, and all you want to do is get your little points in because Trump is bad and we got to defeat Trump, come on, electing your girl, electing Miss Ann is not going to address systemic racism. It may, it may like be a, you know, swat in the face to the really overt, outrageous racist we're seeing right now, but that's not even the, the, the greatest threat to us. It is these systems that continue to be left in place that are leftovers from an alleged bygone age that never actually went away. So this quote I have from Fred Hampton, and I'm closing out so men can come on in. Um, this quote I had to close out from Fred Hampton, I had it pulled up is you have to understand that people have to pay the price for peace. You dare to struggle, you dare to win. If you dare not struggle, then GDIT, goddammit, as my daddy would say, GDIT, um, you don't deserve to win. So that's the bit, that's, I'm about to say that's been Ben Dixon. So she, I cover for Ben too much. <laughs> that's the way with Fanoa. I definitely appreciate you um, for tuning in and liking and sharing and subscribing and supporting. Um, and just remember, like, you know, if we're so worried about Trump, all we need to do is go get that some, some, you know, all we need to do is assemble the team from Ghostbusters 2. Haven't seen a new Ghostbusters, so I don't know how they would fit in this scenario. But all we need to do is, because Trump is like Vigo. Trump is like Vigo from Ghostbusters 2. And he's just so evil. And then we got all the ooze flowing underneath the city and stuff. So we need to go get the neutralized, ionized, you know, good ooze and spray it on the Statue of Liberty and come make everything better again. See, problem solved. We need an exorcist. No, seriously, though. <laughs> Power to the people. We have to be the change we want to see. And I know that's, that's a, it's a true expression. And we have seen a great change happen. We may not be seeing the outcomes. Um, I just checked real quickly, too. Uh, Grayson lost to Murphy, and Rubio won his primary. Um, still have not seen a final about the Canova uh, Washington Schultz race. But... Um, you know, we, we are making moves, we are making waves, and no matter what happens, we need to continue to do so and be active and engaged. So this is Anoa Changa, this has been The Way of Anoa. Stick around, bring some more friends on over, and check out the BPD show coming up next. Peace.